Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. In our last episode... We explored the greatest singers, the artists who through their vocal magic, the power, expressivity, unique character, soul, grit, persuasion, inspire us to feel something deep and authentic. In part one, we discussed singers like Prince, Steven Tyler of Aerosmith, Robert Plant, Axl Rose, Ray Charles, the incomparable Whitney Houston, and many more. And we realized that one episode was just not enough to check this question off of our list. So we're back with a really fun and far-reaching part two, where we talk to some amazing people. And this time, Clint, I think we're going to do it. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. This show is sort of like car talk meets... Behind the music. Ooh, Clint, I like that. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, who is the greatest singer of all time? Part two. That's the age-old question. One of my favorite vocalists of all time is Patty Griffin, a folk singer-songwriter whose debut album, Living With Ghosts, is in my personal top 10 of all time. Here's a track from that album called Poor Man's House. Mama says, God tends to every little skinny sheep, so count your ribs and say your prayers and get to sleep. Nothing is loud. 
louder to God's ears than a poor man's sorrow. Daddy is poor today and he will be poor tomorrow. Hey, that's the poor man's house. Everybody get a look at the poor man's house. Everywhere they went before must have turned him out. I want to play another song of hers. It's a track called Heavenly Day from 2007. It's a mix of soft and vulnerable and powerful and soulful. It's just beautiful. Oh, heavenly day. All the clouds blew away. Got no trouble today With anyone Smile on your face I live on the sea It's enough for me, baby It's enough for me Incidentally, Patty Griffin and Robert Plant were an item for a while. Oh. So the music that they could make. Oh, my God. They're kids. Oh, my God. Oh. They would be. They never had kids. No, but I'm just saying. Them. Holy moly. Alison Krauss and Robert Plant as well. I love Alison Krauss's voice. And that Raising Sand album is one of my favorite. Let's look. Can we hear one song? Leaves were falling just like him. I'm going to talk about one of the great R&B singers of all time. And she's got to be on this list. Mariah Carey. Hmm. Now, I was never a Mariah Carey fan. Were you a Mariah Carey fan? No. I missed it all. Like in the 90s, I just wasn't listening to that. But she, she was so massive. And so I, massive. And I missed it too. It almost was like a parody of a genre right. to me. Turns out though, she could sing. She 
has this five octave range. Five octave. Five octave. I don't. I can't even wrap my head around five octave. And signature use of the whistle register. Have you heard her do this? No. She sings like it's coming out of an orifice two feet above her head. It's like it's like Tuvin singing almost. Like let's just hear a second of it. Why? I don't know where that comes from. It's it's like she is her own human and somehow she was given this vocal box like no one else's. Five octaves. So the thing about Mariah is she had 11 consecutive years charting on the U.S. number one single. I mean, 11 consecutive, consecutive years. years. It's funny that she's so in our blind spot and right. it was so massive. And for somebody, it's their only thing they've ever listened to right like it's their favorite thing but my favorite song of mariah carey is all i want for christmas is you that is like the most classic christmas song and it's a modern day classic christmas song right which it's, is rare it's rare that it's accepted into the canon right most of those songs come from the 30s 40s and 50s right and this is a rare example and this has sold 17 million copies it is the best-selling Christmas single by a female artist and one of the best-selling singles of all time. By 2017, it had reportedly earned $60 million in royalties. I didn't realize she wrote it. She wrote it? She wrote it. So much money off this Christmas song. But it's also just, it's an incredible song. It's an incredible vocal. She really, she can really sing. I don't want a lot for Christmas. Gained a lot more respect when I found out she wrote it. I want to mention very quickly another of the greats because she has to be in this conversation of great vocalists of all time. Joni Mitchell. Here's a great example of her incredible, incredible voice. The song is A Case of You. Just before our love got lost, you said I am as constant as a northern star, and I said Constantly in the darkness Where's that at? If you want me, I'll be in the barn On the back of a cartoon coaster In a blue TV screen light I drew a map of Canada Oh, Canada
Another one of our episodes, the one on sax solos, we talked about how Van Morrison and John Fogarty, both great singers, have really reedy sax-like voices. Van Morrison has character that's so unusual, soulful, gruff. It's really exquisite. Here's Into the Mystic. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. We were born before the wind Also younger than the sun Yeah, the Bonnie boat was one as we sail into the mystic Oh, I can now hear the sailors cry Smell the sea and feel the sky Let your soul and spirit fly into the mystic Where that foghorn blows I will be coming home mm. Yeah, when the foghorn blows I want to hear it I don't have the fear And I want to rock your gypsy soul Just like way back in the days of old might be perfection yeah you're right he does sound like a saxophone it's incredible i never noticed that until you brought that up that time clint you know who we should call who a guy named dave Laurie. okay dave is someone you may not have heard of but he has worked in the music biz for over 35 years He's been a touring musician, a tour manager, an artist manager, a record exec. He's been there, done that. He's also worked with some of the greatest singers in the history of music, including as the manager for Jeff Buckley. Great idea. Dave has recently published a book called Jeff Buckley, From Hallelujah to the Last Goodbye, which is the definitive book on Jeff Buckley, who tragically died after producing just one album. This book is the first time since Buckley drowned in Memphis in 1997 that he's told the story of managing this incredible artist and how it all came to a crashing halt by a freak accident. I can't wait to talk to him. Let's talk to Dave. Dave, are you there? Hello, guys. Hey, Dave. This week's question is, who is the greatest singer of all time? It seems like a perfect opportunity to talk to you as someone who has spent your career really 
up close and personal with some of the some of the most incredible singers, not least of which, of course, is Jeff Buckley. Who do you think is the greatest singer? God, that's such a loaded question. There's several reasons. I think a female vocal is easier for me to pick, which would be Janis Joplin. I just think when Janis came around, it was just like, whoa. I pulled my harpoon out of my dirty red bandana. I was playing soft while Bobby sang the blues. That's a true sign of an original. I think it's easy to copy. It's another to be original. On the male front, I mean, I've worked with so many good ones. I mean, Greg Allman, obviously, Robert Plant, obviously Jeff. Jeff was one of the few people that I could see play over 100,000 people at Glastonbury and silence them. You could hear a pin drop in the field. I've never seen that before. There's very few artists you could say go up on the stage and play. Jeff was a pure singer. He used his voice as an instrument like nobody I ever saw do. Maybe there is a God above. All I've ever learned from love was how to shoot somebody who I drew. It's not a cry that you hear at night It's not somebody who's seen the light It's a call and it's a broken I met Leonard Cohen in London. Ironically, we had Jeff had the same A&R person as Leonard Cohen at Columbia, Steve Berkowitz. Huh. I was sitting there having breakfast in the lobby and Steve goes, oh, come on over here. And I noticed it was Cohen. I knew he was in town. I couldn't tell if he was excited about Jeff's version or he hated Jeff's version because when people mention the name Hallelujah and Buckley comes up, yeah, that's got to that's kind of go on the side, you know? <laughs> so, but... You know, and he never sang the same song twice. And even the Allman Brothers were the same way. I mean, you go to an Allman Brothers show, whatever you saw in Boston wasn't the same one in New York or, uh, you know. And I think that's a sign of a great artist. So you've worked with all these amazing singers. The human voice is a fragile instrument. Like taking someone like Jeff Buckley, was he obsessed with vocal rest and taking care of his voice? Or was he just like the 
just that type of singer that can just go out night after night and just blow it out, be totally fine the next day. Well, you just nailed it. You know, it's a product, but you're, they're human beings. When you give an artist a day off, which I would put in the promo schedule, my wife was his promotion manager. She used to hate it. I'd say day off. Day off meant no travel. It meant no phone interviews. Right. It meant nothing. <laughs> okay. Right. And I would make sure he'd have a couple of those a week. The other big one I have is Greg Allman. Like, I just don't understand how he could do it as a singer. I just couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't do that night in, night out. Just well, I remember going to a blues club because I was looking for a blues singer for uh, another guitar player. And Greg and I walked in and it was five minutes. And Greg looked at me and said, Tell him to call you back when he's had a few more Jack Daniels and a couple cartons of Marlboro Red, you know? It's so true, though. But I'll tell you something he did that was very unique. I said to Greg, what do you want your uh, monitor? He goes, I don't use a monitor. Now, I've been going through my career where artists were like, more monitor, more monitor, up, more monitor. Right, yeah. up, up, up. It's yeah. not turn the stage volume down. It's, you know, there's only so much capacity. And I said, you don't use a monitor? I thought he was really effing with me. Yeah. He said, no, I put in earplugs, make sure I have my earplugs every night. And I listen to the, with the bone in my head. Amazing. Interesting, huh? Dave, we, we want to hear about the book. Jeff Buckley from Hallelujah to Last Goodbye. You've had such an incredible career in music as a musician, as a tour manager, as a, as a manager of, of these incredible artists, of, of a record exec. What was the experience like to sit down and write this book and to reflect on, on this amazing journey? Actually, it was the hardest thing I ever had to do. For a couple of reasons. Number one, in uh, Jim Urban uh, was the editor at Mojo Magazine. That's how we met. Huh. And he was actually with me in Ireland when Jeff disappeared. So, you know, I was going up to journalists and saying, look, don't run with anything. Tim Buckley, uh, Jeff Buckley, you know, I'll get the autopsy. I'll tell you the truth. And he, so I knew I could trust him. I would send him a chapter and he would send back 30 pages, single space. What color was your shirt? What was the tile like on the floor in the you know bathroom or what kind of car were you driving? What color was the interior? And when you read the book, the biggest compliment I get, they say, wow, I feel I'm there with you, Jeff. You know, that it's a very visual read, and it, which makes it a very quick read. And I realized I never, I never grieved his death because as the manager, you always gotta be the strong one. You know, I've got my wife who's, who was his promotion manager. I've got my staff. I've got my other artists who were all friends with Jeff. Um, you have the record company, the publisher, the motors, the publicist. That was pretty intense back then. I was able to get to Memphis and I'm getting calls literally the next morning from crying Columbia execs worldwide saying they're calling marketing meetings. Everybody should go out now and get this book. Wow. Well, Dave, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, and, and we're so grateful that you came on the Age Old Question. And as Clint said, we encourage everyone who's listening to check out the book. It's really full of some incredible anecdotes. You got it, guys. Talk Thanks. to you later. Continued success. Bye bye. Thanks.
Clint, we've talked before on this show about how our responses to these age-old questions are really shaped by our own experiences, whether that's movies we reference, our connection and reaction to the artists and songs that we discuss. We're really products of our own time and place. But in an attempt to broaden our horizons, Clint, I think we should talk to my sister Elizabeth. My sister's really one of the smartest people I know with an insatiable curiosity to learn and ask questions. She also lives in Ramallah in Palestine with my brother-in-law, Ali, and their three amazing kids. When we talk about the greatest singers of all time, it's interesting to think that our answers are really time and culture specific. How would someone living in the Arab world answer that question? Let's talk to Elizabeth. I love it. Hello. Hi, how are you? Hello, Elizabeth. How are you? It's nice to meet you, Clint. It's nice to meet you. Holy moly. Elizabeth is a, a frequent listener to the age oh, question. I love the podcast. It's absolutely fantastic. It's a very Epicurean podcast. You teach people how to savor music. I go away thinking, oh, I hadn't thought about how to experience that song in that way. Huh. We, we should brought, use that for marketing. I was going to say, we brought you on to do some, uh, some promotions for you. <laughs> yeah. Elizabeth, you've talked a little bit about when you moved to Palestine, you just assumed that people would be familiar with the Beatles. And in fact, there were a bunch of people who were just not that familiar. And so you asked, all right, who's the Beatles of the Middle East? And what did people say? Well, I mean, I think... I was, first of all, astonished to think that someone wouldn't know who the Beatles were because they were so definitive for me. And that was when I realized that there were so many cultural references in this world that you can actually find yourself so far away from someone else's reference that it's a different universe. Um, if someone were to ask an Arab who the greatest singer was, there would be a few different choices, but I think the definitive greatest singer in the Middle East in the Arab world would be a woman called Umm Kulthum. And I think it's different when you ask who would be the Beatles. The Beatles, you know, they, it was associated with the excitement of a counterculture, but Arab entertainment is often in groups. When you spend time with Arabs, you sit, you talk, you reminisce, you have coffee, and then you have tea, and then you have coffee again, and you just, you just hang out with each other. And the music is mood music in that way. You sit and share the music and you share long periods of time. It's a, it's a completely different way of experiencing music. Um Kulsum, it comes from that culture. Uh, her songs can last an hour. They've kind of described it as being operatic in that same sense where one verse or one sentence will take 10 minutes. It's just her voice and she's often playing uh, with an orchestra but she's singing all by herself and she'll sing one sentence over and over and over again. And people just sit there and they listen. When she sings the same sentence over and over again, you just meditate on the meaning because she's saying that same sentence. When I was thinking about what it is to be the greatest singer, you talked about in your last podcast, quality of voice. 
the beauty of someone's voice. And then you talked about the ability for someone to paint a picture, to give a mood. So someone who hasn't got a great voice, but who is able to help someone experience what they'd been experiencing through the way they were able to express themselves with their voice. Another definition of what a great voice is or a great singer is someone who can transport you. And I think that is what Im Kulsum is. And that is what often Arab singers focus on bringing collectively a group of people as they meditate on this song that goes on forever and ever. And you're just collectively listening and contemplating the words of the songs because they're often singing poetry written by famous poets. Elizabeth, what you just described in some sense could be used to describe the Grateful Dead. You know, music yep. written, written yeah. by a poet uh, that is goes, play, on for, goes on for hours and is, you know, designed or really created to transport groups of people. Exactly. It's interesting. And where is she from, Elizabeth? She was uh, Egyptian. She was born around uh, the turn of the century, uh, 1900 or so. They don't know when exactly she was born. And she was born into a, a religious family. When she was about eight, her uh, father recognized how talented she was and brought her into the, the family group. Um, because her brother was also singing and she would dress up as a young boy to avoid uh, public disapproval of having a girl on stage because they lived in the countryside in Egypt. And to this day, uh, Egyptian country uh, culture is very, very um, conservative. But she quickly became the most famous singer in the Arab world. Uh, she was known as the star of the East and was nationally acclaimed in Egypt and even in Europe. I think Bob Dylan um, has cited her as an influence. Hmm. Um, and in the Arab world, in the morning, they play a woman called Feruz on the radio. So you wake up to Feruz. She's a Lebanese singer who has, I think, supposedly has a more beautiful voice than Um Kulsum, but she's someone you wake up and have coffee with. <laughs> But at nighttime, when you're sitting with your friends, or, or as my husband does, sit on the balcony by himself and just relax, you play Um Kulsum, and you sit and you meditate on the world. Well, Elizabeth, thank you for joining us on the age-old question. Well, I think you've set yourself a question that might need to go unanswered this time. <laughs> Well, we're throwing caution to the wind and we're, we're going to answer this one. Okay. <laughs> we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Thanks, Elizabeth. Bye-bye, Clint. Bye-bye, Richard. That last song was, of course, Sting's Desert Rose, featuring the Algerian singer Cheb Mami. Wow, that was so interesting. Thank you, Elizabeth. You know who else we should call? Who? Two people who we've spoken to in previous episodes, Tony-winning actress and Broadway star Kelly O'Hara. Oh, yes. And her husband and my bandmate, 
Greg Naughton. I've always been amazed that two of my favorite singers live in one house. It's incredible. I can't wait to hear what they choose. Hey, guys. Thank you for being back on the age-old question. You are two of my favorite singers, but you've also been around and studied great singers. So who are your favorite singers? Who do you think are the greatest singers of all time? Well, should I go first? Yeah, we already decided okay. age before beauty, so. <laughs> so my, I'm just going to give you a little subjective. This is slightly subjective. Three honorable mentions before I tell you the person you know I'm going to say is, <laughs> uh, is Frank Sinatra. If you just think of somebody who's just got one of the greatest voices, could sing anything, and you can listen to it all day long and just be mesmerized by his voice. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not to say the things he truly Steve Perry, just stunning, stunning rock vocals. A singer in a smoky room, a smell of wine and cheap perfume. For a smile they can share the night, it goes on and on and on and on. Strangers. Um, Joni Mitchell. I'm always in awe of her voice. Whenever I hear it come on, it's like it's like pure crystalline sugar uh, at a certain point I can't listen to it because it's almost too it's like it's too strong for me I have to turn it off but I'm always mesmerized by her voice the wind is in from Africa last night I couldn't sleep oh you know it sure is hard to leave here Carrie but it's really not my home my fingernails are filthy I've got beach tar on my feet and I miss my clean white linen and my fancy French cologne. Oh, Carrie, get out your cane. And you guys know that it all begins and ends for me with Stevie Wonder. What is it about his voice that... I knew you were gonna ask me that, Richie, so I thought about it. Um, I think it's the range of sounds, styles he can do, but also the amount of heart that he brings through uh, his voice and the emotional connection that he has to his voice and his music. He can do anything, right? He can, he can sing a, a song like I Wish that just makes you want to cry. It's so beautiful.
before he can rock you out with uh, superstition. I think the the elasticity of his voice um, is pretty unparalleled. What he can do creatively with it, he brought like rock, soul, jazz, gospel, all these different things into this. You know, he was a pop star with some range of influences that not a lot of people had at that point. Uh, he made the runs, the whole like crazy runs thing that he started that and i'm sure that he listens sometimes today and he's like oh boy i feel badly that i <laughs> that i started this thing that's gotten a little out of control and people become a caricature soul yodeling soul yodeling people are yes. just uh for lack of a better word crapping all over their tracks sometimes with these incredible over-the-top <laughs> stuff but he always did it with tastefulness and a connection to it and for examples i would I would point to Love's in Need of Love. If you listen to the whole outro of Love's in Need of Love, you'll hear three and a half uh, octaves of range, and you'll hear all these runs and, and sounds, but he doesn't go crazy with it. He can do all that stuff better than anybody, but he always makes it melodic, you know? and comes back to his melody with it. Another great example is As, mm. one, of the, one of the great songs. And if you hear all of his influences, the rock, the soul, the jazz, the blues, the gospel. gorgeous song all the way around and a couple other high points of his sound I think if you listen to for once in my life he I has a, a moment where he hits a G flat with this mix sound that he has he has one of the best mix sounds in the world and a mix sound for anybody who doesn't know means kind of a mix between your chest voice and your head voice and he was able to pretty 
seamlessly go from one to the next. And sometimes you can't tell what he's hitting, but he has this brilliant range of different sounds. And when he gets to his, his high mix, it's almost like an instrument. He does, this is, you can't take it. I can't even hit that. I think he hits a G flat in that. And then that whole next line after that, he takes the verse and he's all over E flat, D flat. And it's in that beautiful mixed voice. So I, that's essentially, those are my reasons. And Greg, take us on a tangent and tell us the story about when it, you met Stevie. I've passed over people who I think are absolutely outrageously great uh, vocalists like Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey. Um, because for me, the connection to the music, the connection to, you know, is, is different. And those guys weren't really songwriters the way obviously Stevie is. Everything he ever wrote, he was speaking, I think, from the heart. So they say, be careful when you meet your heroes because they'll disappoint you. But I knew that Stevie was not gonna disappoint me. And when I did get to meet him, I told him, I said, look, I, I, you're the most important uh, artist in the world to me. And, and I probably went into music because of you. And he went, oh man. And he gave me a big bear hug. He said, that's such a nice thing to say. And you know, he hears it every day. There's so many musicians who just went into it. But he, he took the time and the moment to, uh, to give me a big hug and, and share the love. And that's just who that guy is. Music is a world within itself. With a language we all understand. With an equal opportunity for all to sing, dance, and clap their by the way, you go see him in concert today. I don't know, how old is he? 70 years old, maybe? He can still hit that G flat in that song. He can still, he still sounds just as good. That's also, I think, a function of maybe um, why he's my vote for the best lead vocalist. All right, Kelly, you, you are 42 times nominated for Tony. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You've won a Tony, you've performed on some of the most incredible stages with some of the most incredible singers. Who for you is the greatest singer of all time? Okay, well, sort of like Greg, I have these sort of alternate ideas. I just wanna point out like an Ella Fitzgerald to an Aretha Franklin to a Whitney Houston vibe and how what you knew of those women and the way they influenced each other there was something innate in that. There was something born to those women. I mean, it just, there is no comparing the agility, what they could do with their voices, although it the genre changed, you know, as time changed. So we hear different things from each of them. So as far as that type of singer, I just, I can't get enough of those three women because I, it's the kind of thing you sit and you go, you know, your mind sort of blows when you hear a certain thing coming out of them. But as I started to think more about it, we're in this sort of age, not like with, you know, with your bands or anything like that as much, but we don't know who's a good singer anymore because it is so overprocessed, and we don't really know, you know, there are some of these young singers who probably are amazing singers, really great, but they're so, the sound that we want to hear now is, is so sort of processed 
That it's you not to say that they're bad singers. They no. may be great, but you just can't always tell. You can't differentiate. No, in, anymore in other words, it, in other words, it, it puts yeah. everybody on the same line, mm. which isn't necessarily fair. Because then you don't have those people who stand out, and you say, "Wow, nobody does that," like Stevie Wonder or Aretha Franklin or whatever it is. So I went back to what I do, which is a more of a, a technical singing than is mixed with something innate, and you cannot never been processed nor miked, and we hit on Luciano Pavarotti. So it's a very different genre, of course, but there was no, never an amplification. There was never a, a auto-tuning anything. And, you know, he came out of the box as a young man. There's an opera called um, Le Fille du Regiment, which is the Daughters of the Regiment, Donizetti opera, where the tenor is asked to sing nine high C's. And since him, you know, he's inspired so many young tenors that some guys are singing 18 and, you know, but he came out singing nine with a smile and nobody had really ever seen anything like it, you know, and it sort of broke the back end of the hall. Vocally, just as, as someone who, yes, studied hard, but also was just born with something. You know, you have to think of someone like him. And this is the quality of the sound he yeah. made. It's so exciting. <laughs> I have one other thing to say, and it's not even a person. It's like what Greg said. Sometimes we hear vocalists that that the the timbre of the vo the vocal is not perfect, or the you know even the range is not impressive. But when you add, and this was my teacher, she used to call her technique speaking on pitch. When you add heart or meaning to your singing, it it comes off as the most powerful and perfect thing in the world. And so then you can classify someone like Steve Wonder um, as, as someone who has a, an, a, you know, the best voice because, uh, because of the heart that they put into it. Anyway, that's my, that's my opinion. That's great because we did not even begin to touch on that. So that's you guys awesome. weren't talking about opera. We didn't uh, talk about the auto tune factor, which no. is absolutely 100% true. I mean, Adele, 
I've heard her sing live and she's pretty dead on. She's pretty accurate yeah. and has a very emotional, very emotional voice. But like all these these pop stars, like you have no idea whether they can sing or not. It's you're absolutely right. And they may be fantastic. They may sing or not, but yeah. because of the amount of processing going on on these vocals these days, you right. don't really know until you get an equalizer like having them sing the uh, national anthem. Right. You know, you want to you want to. You want to end this conversation? Go watch Whitney Houston's uh, sing the national anthem. Hard to say there's ever been a better vocal performance than yep. that one famous one. And, and even now, they pre-record the, them and auto-tune them, probably. Yeah. yeah, I remember, you know, those those big things on the mall and, you know, the PBS things for Fourth of July and stuff. I remember a couple of artists coming with a, an entire board, you know, like an, uh, they just don't sing live anymore yeah. without it being processed, you know, in the, in, the, in the moment. And speaking of singing the national anthem, it's something that, Kelly, I know you've done and you saying God bless America at game six of the World Series at Yankee Stadium and your, husband, your, your husband is, is a lifelong Yankees fan. Uh, what was that experience like? Well, I mean, I don't even think I knew what was happening that that moment. We've, we've sung at it um, since then, but I had just had Owen. It was the craziest thing. And then the whole stadium just erupted. To the oceans, wide with God bless America, put you up in that box with uh with all these with hall the of famers yeah so uh, i knew when i was down there singing that greg was like hobnobbing with like who was that like, i was sitting next to tino martinez tino martinez yeah uh my son's got a ball signed by you know five or six hall of famers one day and he had no idea so he, i said go over there go over there he got them all signed and as he walked over and he's like, oh, I said, give me that. Put that in a safety it. deposit box. It's pretty neat. Every time they ask me, I jump at the chance just so I can take Greg and, and Owen. And One of the things that's so difficult about getting a good um, performance of that song is you, you're hearing a big echo back. You don't have monitoring really. Um, and you're hearing this giant echo that's delayed by like yeah, seconds. It, it makes you slow down because you want to line up with your echo, but you can't. So basically, as far as I've done it, I know there are inner ear things that probably the big the big stars who have all that stuff use, but I just sort of close my eyes and sing against a, something that's about a second behind me. Oh, and it's really difficult. You've got to sing it's with really like the song in your head and not with what you're hearing. Yeah, it is the most sort of mind funk thing you could ever imagine. Mind and, funk, I like the way you did that. Did you, yeah. did you do it acapella? 
Yeah, I always have done it, acapella. Always, yeah. yeah. Um, that's it's never sort of been an option. I mean, I think you know, I don't come in with my big band and say, I'm taking over. It's just, I come in and they hire me when they, when they want the easy job, you know, you, <laughs> just you get in like, and get out. You didn't do it like Aretha at the uh, Super Bowl that time where she went on for like eight minutes, they had to cut her off. <laughs> no. Well, you guys, we love having you on. We can't wait to do it again. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thanks guys. Keep it up. We, we love the show. Yeah, love thanks, it. Thanks guys. Bye. Take care. All right, Rich, how about some honorable mentions? Laid on me. When we talked about mimicking someone, yeah. there's no more mimicked voice than Michael McDonald. Oh right? Like, like, there's no... Do it. I know you can I do can't. it. No, I can't. No. His voice has got to be in the running for greatest voice of all time. So great. Another one that's like that is Elvis. Elvis Presley's voice is mint. Well, you're listening to my soul. Like, it's so, it's such a parody of itself because it became, it, it was the biggest thing that ever was. The biggest thing ever. It was. Well, that's all right, mama. That's all right for you. That's all right, mama. Just any way you do it, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right, anyway, Elvis was the biggest thing. I mean, we look at our favorite band of all time. They loved Elvis. Totally. They just worshipped Elvis Presley. Oh, speaking of which, I ran across this outtake of two of us, the great Lennon McCartney song that Paul really wrote from Let It Be, which Jeff Simons referenced in part one of this episode as an example of Paul and John's exquisite harmony together. In this version, this outtake, Paul is mugging for the camera and singing the lines as if Elvis might have. I agree. Elvis has to be one of the all-time greats. Okay, go. Who else you got? I want to talk about Bob Marley. Oh, yeah. One track in particular. The final track on his final studio album released in June 1980, Redemption Song. Rita Marley, his wife, claims that when he wrote this the previous year, he already knew he was dying. And the album and that track in particular dealt with his own mortality. It's such a beautiful performance, and I just love Bob Marley's voice. And it's live, and you know it's live. Yes. And he's doing it, and that's another thing that we haven't talked about. The people that can do it live, live. and still get that emotion across, and it's not studio wizardry. All pirates, yes, they rob I, sold I to the merchant ships. Minutes after they took I from the bottomless pit, but my hand was made strong. 
By the hand of the Almighty, we forward in this generation triumphantly. Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom? Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs I love that song. Um, I'm just gonna name out a bunch of these. Bono? Love it. Let's talk about Vano for a second because I saw you two at the Boston Garden in 1994, five, and they did where the streets have no names. And when they finally drop into it, that's a huge intro. And when they finally drop into the thing and the white lights go on the crowd, I had tears like streaming down my face. It was the most emotional experience I've ever had at a rock concert. It was like overpoweringly emotional. And he sings it and he's just belting. He's like a full voice belter at the top of his lungs. And Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois talk about the producers. The producers of that of a bunch of those YouTube records talk about getting him to sing at the highest point he can because it gives you that that sense it like makes your skin crawl it's like so emotional when they're pushing so hard how about otis redding otis redding i've been loving you so pure too long to stop And you want to be free My love is going stronger. I want to suggest Sting Oh, of course Roxanne You don't have to put on the red light Those days are over You don't have to show your body to the night Roxanne Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. Love is a burning thing. And it makes a fiery ring. Bound by wild desire. I fell into a ring of fire. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 
and the flames went higher and it burns 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 the ring of fire the ring of fire i love johnny cash how about brian johnson from acdc Like, you can't. Nobody can sing like that. It's incredible. It's like Axl Rose. But who's the best, Clint? Well, for me, my favorite vocalist of all time, it's the voice that I want more than anything. Hmm. And that person is Greg Allman. I, there's so much rasp and growl. And he can also sing high. And it sounds like he's... Telling you the truth. He's telling you the truth. And that means more to me than Mariah Carey's five octaves. What's your favorite Greg Allman vocal? Dreams. Just one more morning. I had to wake up with the blues. Pull myself out of bed. I just love the rasp he gets. And it's it, if you can't do it, you can't do it. Right. I can't do that Greg Allman thing. I just, I, for whatever reason, my voice doesn't allow me to do that. I love the Allman Brothers. The song that they recorded right after Dwayne Allman died, Ain't Wasting Time. I love that song so much. We've talked in the past about how important context is in our experience of a song, in the artist's delivery of a song. But here's a guy whose brother dies tragically at such a young age. His partner in this band dies. And so then he writes the song about, all right, I just, I, I can't be enveloped in the sadness anymore. I, I can't waste any more time. Right. And if it had been a poem, it would have been moving. Right. But, you know, as we started this episode, how a picture is worth a thousand words, hmm. a vocal like that is worth a thousand pictures. Yeah. He just paints such a powerful picture. You nailed it. That's it. Last Sunday morning, the sunshine. Who is your choice for greatest vocalist of all time? I think I'm going to have to agree with Greg Naughton. I think it's got to be Stevie. God, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs>
Did we did we just do it? I think we did. I can't believe it. But you know wow. what? We know that there are going to be some out there that think we didn't do it. Yes. And we want to hear from you. Yeah, we do. Because we, we love hearing. Yeah. We really hope you had as much fun as we did. And we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.